0: Wait do <clears> this, <throat> <Chalo. clears throat> this could be a great intro.
1: <laughs> Hi, I'm Akshay.
0: Hi, this is Saurabh and you are listening to the Founder Thesis Podcast. We meet some of the most celebrated startup founders in the country.
1: And we want to learn how to build a unicorn.
2: So my name is Shantanu Deshpande and I'm the founder and CEO of Bombay Shaving Company.
0: D2C is the flavor of the season in India, but the opportunity for creating generational brands is very real, and today's D2C brands will become FMCG giants of tomorrow. Leading the pack in the men's grooming market is Bombay Shaving Company, which counts FMCG giants like Rekit Benkissa and Colgate-Palmolive as its strategic investors. And its founder, Shantanu Deshpande, is truly a gifted strategist who left a well-paying consulting job to create an FMCG brand that is today worth 100 crores. Listen to Shantanu decode the growth hacks and the mental models that helped him scale up so fast and become the leader of the pack in his space.
2: So I, was born in, interesting, so I was born in Dallas uh, and my, fa- my father was in TCS for a really long time. So from 78 to 93, 94, he was in TCS and for three, four years in another company. So he was actually, he was a, a part of a small team that set up a lot of the TCS offices in the 80s in the US. So I was born in Dallas and he was part of the Dallas office and we were in Boston for a few years. We were in New York for a couple of years. We were then in, in Florida for three four years, so around we, we stayed around around the place. And then he in 97 he he was offered a, a job in Pune to be CEO of Tech Mahindra, which at that time was a very small Mahindra Group IT company. This is around the time when IT was slowly starting to pick up, and Mahindra had British Telecom as a you know sole client, and he was asked to come in and lead that business. So 97 to 2004 he was there. Uh, but it was a good job. My grandmoms were getting older and my parents were like, okay, fine, kids are getting older, so let's go back. That was, I know, it was a decision my brother and I were absolutely against because I, for me, India was all about summer vacation, just coming back during the summer vacation. And I was, I, I, you, you know, right, if you have cousins or someone who comes from US every other year, they dress differently, they talk differently. They're always, they're always the weird, unique types. And I I never felt at home in India, even though, uh, you know, uh, this is family, but, um, so my brother and I were very unhappy about the move back. But I think over, after a year or so, we were fairly comfortable with it.
1: Okay. Okay. And so like w- what had you thought, uh, you know, during your teen years that you will go back to the US and study or you were like pretty much settled into India?
2: No, so I actually, my brother and I joined a very, very traditional school, uh, in, in, in Pune. Uh, called Pikya Patel and you know, like we became, we we were young, right? So we Indianized fairly quickly. Uh, US became a distant memory. So, uh, you know, then after that, we, you know, we, we, we were both, we acclimatized to India very well. We, I was, I, I continued to hold a US passport, but uh, going back to the US has never been an option. My brother, on the other hand, for education, he, he was at IIT Bombay, then he did his PhD from Stanford. And kind of has, has, has been an academic and is now working at a hedge fund in the US. So his interest did not allow for a professional, uh, pursuit in India. But, um, for me, India always is option number one. And I, 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 other than maybe a couple of years in the US, I don't think I will ever think about staying there India is a very exciting place now.
1: Mm, true. True. So uh, did you also uh, like pursue the path of engineering like your brother and your dad? Absolutely. So
2: I was, uh, I was, uh, you know, between my brother and I, he was a lot more academically smart than I was. Uh, I did try for IIT, didn't make it. Went to an IIT napur, did my computer science. I was, fa- I was a fairly sharp kid in the sense I knew how to clear my exams and do well, but was never an engineering enthusiast. It was just something that kids who were good at mathematics and science would do. So that's why I did it. Um, uh, but beyond that, it was I knew that I wanted to do something more. So when final year came. I was like, okay, fine. I want to start thinking about management as a, as a postgraduate option. So CAT became a really, uh, CAT, GMAT, you know, stuff like that was what my final year in engineering was all about.
1: Okay. How were you in the engineering? Years? Like, you know, were you like a, a, a focused on studies or were you like a outgoing extrovert types or?
2: Yeah, I was an outgoing, I was a very outgoing, very extrovert. I was, um I had a i lived in a hostel, so I had a lot of friends. I am the kind I'm the kind of person, Akshay, who kind of uh identifies and associates with my community slash my institution very quickly from an identity standpoint. So for the four years I was at NIT Nagpur, I was a proud NIT Nagpur alumnus. You know, I was a proud student. I was a member of the college football team, so it became a very big passion for me. I was the sports secretary of the college, so building a sports infrastructure became very important to me. And when I went to IAM Lucknow, for example, IAM Lucknow was not at the same level level of Ahmedabad, Bangalore, Calcutta, right? I mean, it's a newer institute and so on. So, uh, but I always felt that, so I got involved with the fest at IAM Lucknow and I felt our fest should be bigger in sponsorship and size than all the others. Uh, and then when I joined McKinsey, which was like a big deal for me because McKinsey doesn't recruit so many people from L as they do from the others, I felt that Lucknow should do well in McKinsey. And then, uh, you know, now, now I'm a proud McKinsey alumnus and I feel that McKinsey is, you know, so I'm the kind of person who kind of really associates with the institution that I'm a part of. Uh, and yeah, I was, I was a footballer. I was, you know, I was a fairly, uh, exalted kid. I used to have, I had a motorcycle, so. Uh, you know, uh, naturally just moving around the city was a lot more fun. I was, um, I was a very, 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 very happy four years I had. I made my best friends there.
1: Mm. And, and straight yeah. after NIT, you got into IML.
2: Yes, I, I gave my cat in my final year for a shot. So it was six years of hostel life back to back. It so was <laughs> <some good> fun.
1: <laughs> okay. So, uh, y- you wanted to get into consulting, uh, like, you know, you're now in the FMCG space and, a lot of people during B-School have? Like, you know, the, the most popular are banking, FMCG, consulting. So, uh, what was it that you wanted to do? So, yeah,
2: that's a good question. I did not want to do, I did not even know what consulting was when I went to B-School. It's insane how little I knew about the management world. When I entered, I am like now. Okay. Um, and I was one of only seven freshers on a batch of 350. So other people, they were like, our average experience of three or four years. So People around me are kind of work. They figure out what they wanted to do, uh, and so on. Um, two things happened, right? I think one is I got a job. My internship was at Nokia in um, in uh, in my during my summers, right? And Nokia at that time was 2010, so Nokia was a was run like an FMCG company. It was 17, 18,000 was a top line, and just the phone would like kind of fly. So the top management Shiv Kumar. Vinit Taneja, all of these are ex-leavers, guys. So top management was all ex-leavers in Cadbury. So it took a while a phone company, was run like FMCG. Yeah,
1: and it was ubiquitous. I mean, the only phone banner and logo you'll see all around the country was probably Nokia at that time.
2: Hundred percent everyone had no, it was a hundred percent market share business. And I remember April I seventh my internship started. And uh my first week there, there was the uh, the 31st March was financial year closing, right? So there was the party for the sales team, which I was a part of. So all the top sales managers would achieve their target. The top guy was given a Honda City. So it was a big deal, right? And the guy on the top, I think, was Vijay Wada or one of these places. Had achieved like 700% of his target. And I caught up with him over a drink and he was like, it's not like I did something 7x more. <laughs> it's just that our phone sells so much. And But this is the peak, right? Because after that, within two years, uh Nokia had started falling significantly compared to Samsung and some of the other brands
1: right. yeah yeah i think around that time the sale had happened like 13 14 only i guess the sale to microsoft happened
2: correct 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 so by the way so th- i so i got an offer from Nokia to join full time i still be convinced that i want to join Nokia as you know as as a sales manager um and i love the place and so on so uh when final month arrived uh I was allowed to apply for companies that come before Nokia to the campus. Or maybe one or two. I had an option to apply to two companies that come before Nokia to campus. Uh, if I, if I get those two, through those two, that's good. Otherwise, I have to take the Nokia off. So I, uh, obviously, consulting comes first. Uh, so McKinsey, Boston Consulting Group, uh, Deutsche, Goldman, all of these companies. I, I chose. McKinsey and Boston Consulting Group because those are the I felt I was a better consultant than I would be a uh, banker and so on. Uh, but I was still not very keen to like prepare for it, or I was not even sure I was going to get shortlisted. I had a I had gotten shortlisted by BCG in the summers, and I had a horrible interview. Product. I had like I had one interview and I Did not like it happened in the afternoon, and I did not get you know get the offer, and it was very, very painful. I always felt that consulting is way outside my league. Like I'm not. I'm not fit for it, you know. Uh, but at that time, I had really started liking this girl on in my batch, um, and you know, I had like a big crush on her, and she was, you know, kind of very supportive. And uh, she said, "Hey, uh, you know, you should. Why, why, why don't you have two options? Why don't you apply?" She also had a PPO from a bank, but she wanted to get into consulting. And uh, she said, "She should apply." And I, I was like, uh, I, "I will, but I don't think anything to really happen out of it." And she said, no, no, you apply, you'll be really good. You're, you're good with words. You're a sharp problem solver. Why, why, why? And my grades are not good enough. And, you know, I, I had a bad BCG experience. And she didn't no, to no, do no, no. So I'm going to do it and I'm going to prepare. So, you know, let's prepare together. And I was like, okay, that's that's a good enough. <laughs> <product."> <laughs> do it, right? So, so uh, I applied and I got the shortlist. I didn't get one from BCG, but I got one from the And uh, I was like, I, I was one of those guys who on my CV, they did not even put my academic grade, but I'm not a mate. So the shortlist itself was a surprise. i right? was like, cool, now that I'm shortlisted, might as well prepare. She got all the shortlists, right? Uh, she was academically much, much better than I was. And we, I used the month to like really work hard on my case preparation and interview prep. and It's a fairly intense process. And I, as the preparation happened, actually, I realized I'm really good. I was really good at it. Like surprisingly good at it. Like towards the end, right? I still remember, distinctly remember the date of 28th of Feb, 2011 was my process. 21st, 22nd of Feb was when McKinsey came to campus for an event. Uh, And they do like this for the whole month before the process. They come to campus, they do workshops, all of that stuff, right? So they came, and um, uh, I remember one of the guys there who was ex I am Lucknow uh, and said that, you know, hearing a lot of good things about you, and we might put you in the interview list. We might bring you first in front of the partners and so on. I was like, cool, my reputation has kind of gone. And like, even like toppers from the shortlist were like, Calling me up and saying, "Hey, Shantanu, can we, can we, can we get an hour of prep time with you?" Which is like never <laughs> happened for the two years there, right? So I was, I was fairly confident going into the party, but yeah. So she got into BCG on that day, and I got into McKinsey, and we are we are we are happily married today. So you know, all well 12, 12 <laughs> oh, That's quite a love story. Eh? Yeah, I mean, we started, we started dating around like we started dating during that week because. I think we, the prep time and there's so many distractions. She had gone for student exchange, so she was not in India for a while, and then she came back, and then we prepped. And then I think once the placements happened, and then we had like a few months before we joined, that's when we had like some breathing time. And you know, before we left campus, we kind of uh, formalized that. You know, we not formalized. We were like, okay, fine. Are we like dating <laughs> or are we not? You know, <laughs> what do we tell our friends? You know? And uh, it was good because consulting was great because. You fly in, you fly in on Monday and you fly out on Thursday or Friday, and she had the same gig. So Thursday, Friday, we were kind of fly to, we tried to fly to similar locations and kind of, uh, you know, the, the firms sponsored our initial
1: courtship. It was great. Wow. Okay. So, uh, like, uh, what was the base location at McKinsey for you?
2: Bombay, Bombay. I was, I am from Pune, right? So my parents are in Pune, so I took Bombay. I never did a Bombay project. I always did stuff outside Bombay. Um, my first year was in, you know, Udaipur. my second year was in Orissa. I did a lot of work in Delhi. The Sakshi is located in Delhi. So my 2014 is when we got married So 2013 and 14. Uh, I took a lot of Delhi based projects. I did insurance, cement, um, I did a couple of projects in Bangalore. I did a couple of projects outside India. I did one project in Mumbai.
1: What was the, the typical mandate that you would get? Like. Improve our profitability, or like, what was it? Like? Yeah,
2: so McKinsey is a very, like, McKinsey, McKinsey as a firm attaches a team of four to five people at the very top of the organization, right? And so I served, like, my first job was to increase zinc production in a company. My second job was to reduce the cost of product, for, cost of procurement for coal, for a power plant. My third mandate was to, was to create strategic plans for five years for a heavy engineering business of around 18, 19,000 crore top line. Um, then I had to do learning and development for insurance agents for a life insurance company. Like, how do, how do you train agents, right? Play like of 13,000 agents. How do you train them? So what's the, so it's very diverse. I then did a cement sales transformation, which is a company in India selling cement. Um, how do you increase the output by 20% uh, in terms of volume? How do you use price levers, branding levers, really interesting problems across the board. My last project was agriculture, pesticides, insecticides. weedicides. how do you brand brand them? What kind of molecules do you use for the Indian farmer? So it was really interesting. Like I I had a blast. I, I met some of, I always felt like I was the dumbest person in, in McKinsey room, um, very smart people, very sharp. Um, you know, I think that job was tailor-made for someone like me, right? Four to five months in a project, you know, rigorous problem solving, very analytical, and then your bosses keep changing. So you keep like learning from new people, new clients, new environments, and so on. Oh, brilliant place too. I, I, I think five years at McKinsey would be like 15 years at any other place from a, just from an intrinsic building standpoint. Hmm. I kind of look at my five years and think about, a lot, I don't know whether it's a good thing or not, but a lot of my, the way I think, the way I plan, the way I do things professionally is um, is guided by the way I learned to do things at Bikindy.
1: So Basically, you you learn to think big right from day one as an entrepreneur, if you are coming out of a consulting company, I guess.
2: I think so. So there are two, three kinds of people at Bikinji. I don't think consulting is great for entrepreneurship. To be very honest, right? I think from an interview standpoint, it is good because it it creates amazing networks for you. It uh, teaches you how to talk to like board management, shareholder management, you know, and financial analyses, etc. It does very well for you. And problem solving, it really teaches you how do you structure a problem, how do you break it down, etc. I think the, the issue with consulting where consulting and entrepreneurship kind of conflict from a requirement standpoint is. I think the consulting world teaches you to analyze a little more than needed and kills what I think is uh, maybe risk-taking slash judgment-driven decisions. You know, sometimes, feel happy hai, sometimes you feel that it it's the right thing. To do. you know, things don't make sense, but in your mind, they do, right? Entrepreneurs need to follow instinct a lot on a lot of things. You can't keep waiting for the perfect data to... You need to take calls. Consulting doesn't give you the comfort naturally to do the consultants are fairly conservative people that way. Mm-hmm. But
1: a, a lot of uh, founders who scale fast, I have seen uh, have a consulting background. Yeah. So yeah, they do.
2: Uh, I don't, but I don't, I, I think it is more to do with overlap of excellence pools than it is to do with, um, with, with the fact that they were because they are consultants. I just feel like really good people from India end up going to IITs or IIMs or, you know, SRCC or whatever. And then those real, then really good people of those really good people get selected into McKinsey or BCG or whatever, right? So now you suddenly have the, like the cream there. Now so you get the cream to go and do something, whatever it is, whether it's being an entrepreneur or whatever, you'll, you, the chances of them doing it well will be much higher than the chances of an average person doing it. Who's not from a pool of
1: excellence? Plus the the investors' willingness to back is also much higher. Yeah.
2: You take you take you take the you take the hundred people who are selected for the IS for India this year, and you tell those hundred people, "क्या अगले 5 IS IIS, entrepreneur an entrepreneur. The chances of them doing well is very high because anyways those are <laughs> it's a very it's a very high pool of excellence. Right? So I, I think it's more that than consulting. But yeah, I think consulting also gives you like access to promote a lot of consultants, like especially partners are very close to like senior founders of large, multi-billion dollar businesses. They're very close, they're advisors to them. So they firsthand to
1: see how they think,
2: how they decide, how they build leadership teams. A lot of those things come in very handy. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. So, uh, how did you uh, end up leaving uh, consulting for an uh, like an entrepreneurial Venture.
2: So my so two two three triggers right. I think 2004. My dad was 50 years old, 49 years old. I, I, to be very honest, I lived a very luxurious and privileged, and rich so i had a childhood which was very well endowed. Uh, but my dad sat us down in 2004 and said, Hey guys, uh, look, shantanu you are now going to Nagpur, and Yash is now he is finishing his tenth and is fairly you know is fairly independent and will do well in life. So I am not going to put aside any money for your education. Okay, I, do you guys want to go to the US? And we both said no. I said, okay, I don't need to put any money for the education. We have bought a house. Uh, you know, your mom and I don't need a lot. I'm now going to become an entrepreneur. So I did not understand what that meant. So I said, what does that mean? like, look, I mean, you won't believe. He actually told us how much he made at uh, Tech Mahindra as CEO. These are my stock options. how much I made. he comes from like sheer poverty. Actually, my dad, like, my dad and his four, three siblings and the mom. Like my grandfather passed away when my dad was seven, and my dad was the oldest of the four siblings. So the others, others, were even smaller. And they, my grandmom was on a government teacher salary, so they, that's how they lived their life. Uh, then he went to BITS Pilani, then IIT, and then joined TCS. And then when he went to the US, when he started seeing the world, he comes from, he comes from nothing. Um, and he sat us down and he showed us his salary and you know how, how much he have saved. What are the asset base or all of that? So now he said, I'm putting in this much, you know, 20% of my savings into a company, and I'm starting up now. And uh, I'll introduce you. my his co-founder was a professor of computer science at IIT Kanpur, um, and uh, he said I'll introduce you to Praveen. And uh, but now we will not be able to go on international vacations. Uh, we will have to cut down on some of our spending, etc. So are you guys okay with that? And my mom was very comfortable. Like my mom is one of those. Sadhu type people, like you put her in a one room kitchen with like 4,000 rupees a month of, she will manage in that also, she's very happy. So she said, sure, so is exciting. And my brother and I were so excited by this whole thing, because that meant that dad would be home a lot more, you know, it just meant that he, I I did not realize, but for us, his job as CEO was very demanding. So he would like be out of Pune half the time, come home late in the night, we missed our diet, so we were like, great. So he set up an office inside the house. We we had like a big whiteboard and everything. And him, and until they were like five, six, seven people, they used to work out of our our home, which is amazing.
1: And this was like a software company that he set up. So he set up this
2: company called Mojo Networks, uh, which at that time was called Airtight Networks. Airtight was a a Wi-Fi security device business. Basically, they would put devices to secure any Wi-Fi network which had sensitive information on it. So think about think about uh, you know uh, uh, any defense building or any bank which has you know sensitive information they will put the device the Pentagon in the US for example has airtight devices in it so they basically build Wi-Fi security so they sold their business in 2018 2019 to Arista Networks. My dad doesn't want my brother and me to get complacent about life. So he's kind of, he's like, he's he, very, very, very particular. He said he's like, we have a family lawyer for many years. Um, my dad, obviously, because he would travel a lot, he had made a will. Um, and uh, every year he would make my brother my and me read his will. Uh, but last two years he has not. So I'm assuming that, he's so even that, the will is there and when the time is right, you please let Chanduno and Yash know what needs to be done. That's pretty much where it is. But I think, no, I think, I think well, their life has, their lifestyle has not changed. And, uh, my, my sense is, uh, my sense is it's, it's, it's a significant amount of, uh, but I think for someone who built a business of 15 years, uh, he was CEO of TechMindera, right? And he started a company at 50. 50 to 60 is when CEOs maximize their financial gains. He was a, he was going to be made CEO when he could have been a CEO of another company. they built a, a Techmindra from a 40 crore business to like an 800 crore top line business. And almost taken them public and then so on. Right? So uh, I think he was fairly ambitious and risk taking that. But for me, that was one, big, like my dad's journey and seeing it so close from a young age was a big driver for me to do this. The second thing was I think McKinsey pilot is amazing for the first four five years. It starts becoming a little bit about partnership. How do you make partner? Who are your clients? Stuff that is not fundamentally about client service, and that became a little boring for me. Uh, tum, like who which partner are you associating with, or what's your practice and stuff like that. So, and the third thing was that I I met uh, like two of my two people who are really respected McKinsey left for like startup jobs, right? So one guy one went on to become the CEO of Flipkart. One guy went on to become CEO, administrator, Anand, and Zaiki. And I was like, these guys made senior partner last year and now I have now left. What's the point? Like, it's 15 years, you work hard and you become senior partner with amazing salary and respect and all. And then you leave for startups and what's the point, right? So that was the third trigger. But I think the fourth trigger was a friend of mine in the US had interned at Harry's, um, which at that time was an amazing men's grooming. Even today, like good men's grooming brand out of the world. And he told me that, you know, look at this Dollar Shape Club video and, you know, they're taking on Gillette and this and that. i like, that's so cool. And I started thinking about this. Also, a very good friend of mine in Bombay at the time was a brand manager at Axe. So he and I would talk about men's grooming and how Axe is getting killed by fog. So a lot of things started happening in 2014, 2015. Which kind of, you know, told me that I want to build an FMCG brand. And plus, like FMCG was always a love. Like it was a, it was something I always felt that HUL, Nokia, Proctor, Colgate, racket would be where I would build my career until McKinsey happened, right? Uh, so I want. I felt that like I had the chops, the intrinsics, the interest, the passion to build something. And I felt, I felt building a brand for men made sense because there weren't many around you know beauty was a beauty was something that was uh, far more indexed in women than it was in men but over the last 20 years we know that men have want started wanting to look good a lot especially after social media uh, life casting you want to get rights right on tinder you know uh, your profile picture you want good stuff on instagram so but you don't like two to two guys never talk about grooming it's just socially unacceptable but three girlfriends are very comfortable talking about lip colour or hair, shampoo, or hey, I love I love your cheeks. What, what <laughs> your moisturizer do you use? You'll never hear a guy tell his friends, even if they're very close friends, you have dude till daddy about a year. So you, you like you need a brand there to tell men because it has started becoming important for them, but like social society is not a place to get answers. So all that put together, I felt that it was time to start up
1: was there a certain amount of naïve optimism K you, know, you know, let's start a, an FMCG company? I mean, it, it just sounds naively optimistic.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I, I was on naïve optimism. I, I I, felt that, I, again, like a consultant, I kind of figured out, is the market large, yes? Um, Are the margins good? Yes. Uh, Is the internet a place where you can start creating brand stories? Yes.
1: How many months did you spend researching this thesis before you took the plunge?
2: Probably, it not researching, but it was ruminating in my head for a year and a half or so at least. I, I felt that there's a good way to build a men's grooming brand in India and uh, here's a way to do it. There are multiple approaches, right? So fog approach was take a category like deodorant which is very cluttered and totally dip- create, a, create a differentiation through the proposition which is, you know, AXO spray, no, no gas, right? And just build an offline brand, which is a brilliant and marketed on television. That was brilliant. You need a lot of money for it. You're not able to raise that kind of money upfront because no one will play. I, I had no credentials as an, an FMCG operator. So the other approach was enter a subcategory where you can build a certain amount of premium brand equity. And then use that equity to then launch another other subcategories. So then we said, okay, if that's the way we want to do it. And take on the biggest subcategory, which is shaving. And then take on Gillette and Razors and Blades. And then once you build an equity that, okay, you a great guy, great design, very premium product, great experiences, then you can, you have the license to play multiple other categories. So that's, we kind of did it in a different way. Hmm. Hmm.
1: And you decided from day one to be like, uh, like a D2C online brand or you wanted to have, Offline also, like
2: no, I am I'm, I'm I'm a believer that Indian retail is built offline uh, sustainably, right? Uh, sure, you can, can get initial traction first five crores a month, it's three crores a month, two crores a month, whatever depending on the category and the penetration of the category. You can build some some scale online, uh, but if you really want to be a household brand. Right? Our investors, for example, are Colgate-Bamaluf or Rekit-Banky, two of the most penetrated household brands in India. right? For me, that was the aim and that is the aim even today. I want the Bombay shaving company home in every house in India where someone is shaving. Uh, I can't do that by 2D2C or e-commerce. Sure, I can get eyeballs by marketing on Facebook and Google and building a fantastic D2C experience. But the end goal always will be to to capture a shelf in a store and to capture every self and every store.
0: If you like to hear stories of founders, then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion-dollar businesses. Just search for the Founder Thesis Podcast on any audio streaming app like Spotify, Ghana, Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show.
1: So how did you uh, get this off the ground? Like, this is something which needs a certain amount of upfront money in the product. You know, like, you need to spend in developing the product. So did you, like, uh, put in your own money? Did you raise funds? Like, you know, tell me about the launch.
2: Both, both. So I, I quit McKinsey in August, of, the end of 2015, right? Um, and my exit from the firm was kind of, was kind of, uh, you know, I, i'm a very emotional kind of guy like i'm a, I'm, a, I'm a you know uh, i'm at, like i said that right, i'm attached to institutions so leaving the firm was not an easy decision or an easy process for me like it was like i owe the firm a lot even today like i i, I try to uh, i'm a faculty at a lot of their trainings i uh, whenever they need help on recruitment i'm always there as an alumnus um and you know so i exited the firm over a many month period where I had detailed long chats with a lot of the partners who are my mentors, my bosses. And the good part about Mickey's is every project is different, right? So by the end of five years, you have worked with, I had worked with like 50-60% of the firm partnership by then, at least one or the other projects. right? So every conversation, and I was a, I was a high performing guy there, like uh, the firm invested in you for the first four, five years, they let you do what you want to do at that point once you start becoming a partner is when you start paying back to the firm by bringing in clients and so on right so i was i was leaving after they had invested but i had not given back so for the for the firm it was not it, they were also not very happy about the choice but amazing like the the, the partners were so cool uh, you know they, they finally said that, look you're not walking away from the firm you're walking towards a dream of yours and we will never hold you back in fact tell me how we can be a part of your dream and uh, 23 McKinsey partners invested in Bombay Shaving Company when I was leaving the firm on in, in, a, in a principal agreement that, hey, I'm writing your check. Let me just come back. Someone wrote for 15 lakhs. Someone wrote for 50 lakhs. Someone wrote for 30 lakhs. I said, I had principal uh, investment approvals for around 4 crores. I put in another 60 lakhs of my own. So I had a cool kitty, the day the comp, so this was all, all the uh, approvals are all that all had happened before, uh, I launched the company. So I launched the company, then we got all the money in, uh, and then I had a cool 4.6, 4.7 crore kitty. And then, um, you know, uh, brought in three of, of the, the our first three, uh, folks, uh, Rana, Kurohit and Vipu, uh, into the company, one to head our brand, one to head our product development, and one to head our supply chain and process, right? So... Um, that's how we got and then we 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 designed our razors we got industrial designers we understood the procurement of shaving creams and shaving balms and aftershaves and gels and everything we it's like once you go deep and you start talking to people it's not that complex it's just a matter of doing it well Uh, so it took us six seven months uh, but good part is good part is not very expensive to take a product off the ground is not very expensive
1: But don't you need a certain minimum order size for a vendor to really develop something for you?
2: shaving cream, our first order was, I think, 5,000 shaving creams. Each of them was for 24 rupees landed cost. 24 into 5,000 is a lakh. 1.2 lakhs. But initially, 1.2 plus, you know, some testing, vesting, stability, certification. 1.5 to 2 lakhs you can put, you can get the product in the warehouse. You will have to spend money in building a website, etc. But it's fairly, fairly reasonable. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So,
1: uh, how, how how many like you know how what inventory did you launch with like when you started like what was the product how many SKUs?
2: how oh, interesting. We we were so arrogant.
1: I don't know. Like now
2: it's easy to look back and laugh, but at that time we were convinced that Bombay shaving company is the only shaving experience worth having. So. We will only sell the whole kit. You cannot buy individual products. Okay. So the kit was also like this. Like this, We felt we made the kit look real. And I think that worked for us in the long run. <laughs> it had this like metal razor on top. Like think about like, a, like the, a, a luxurious fountain pen, right? We had a metal razor, which weighed like 100 grams. It looked beautiful. It's still like one of our best products, right? Then we had a shaving cream, a post-shave balm, and a pre-shave scrub. So like a regimen for shaving. We had a shaving brush and, uh, uh, you know, Japanese blade. All of this came in like this big, nice box, like the size of a shoebox.
1: And this was like that uh, single razor blade, yeah? The... Single blade. Is,
2: like, so it's like for the purists. And this we, we charge three and a half thousand bucks for this. Hmm.
1: But this is such a niche product, man. Like how many people
2: use? So even today, we realize that razor and blade is something where we will struggle to beat Gillette. Because they've just been so good at it. That at price point in India is so hard to beat. Unlike Dollar Shave Club in the US, which could beat a bigger club like that. India is very value customer, right? So we can't win in that game. We have to win in the shaving foams, shaving creams, after shaves, uh, you know, facial uh, cleansing, face washes, face scrub. That game is where we will have to win. So yeah, we have kind of evolved significantly from this. And we said we will not sell on Amazon and Flipkart. Another very smart. <laughs> If you want it, you come to my website and buy. It took a long time to realize that people in the world are not as passionate about shaving as we are. So, so we, like this like Colgate guys also used to tell us ki, hum, you have to the product has to uh, kind of cater to the customer. Customer will not cater to the product. And it took us 2-3 years to learn this.
1: Okay. okay. Like, like when did you realize that this is not working the strategy you took of you know being pure shaving experience and only on our website
2: yeah all six, within 6 7 months we realized that we scale nahi ho to scale customer I not raha customer customer aa raha hai carry nahi to product basically we have to spend 2000 rupees for cac so we were like this is not working man this is not working so we said okay fine so, I'll tell you, like,
1: how many kits did you sell in that first six months? We sold a lot, yeah. I'll tell
2: you, to be honest, uh, our first month sale was five lakh rupees, right? So, we sold how many? One hundred and twenty kits. Then second, by, by the seventh month, our sale was fifteen, seventeen lakh rupees per month. This is not bad. Right? Seventy lakh rupees selling only through kits is not is not bad.
1: And that too only through your own site, you know, like only through my own site. Huh. yeah. Huh, huh. And you had a fulfillment partner to do the logistics. And yeah,
2: holy soul yeah. All 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 logistics. Very, very good. Yeah, very good. Now, we're, one warehouse in Maud, Delhi because it was an assembled product, right? I think, the, I think the first thing we did The first thing we did was we will sell individual products which are in this kit on our website, which is shaving cream. So, so the buy-in was lower that you can come and buy a shaving cream if you want you don't to buy all those. Then Amazon guys told us to guys, yeah, I spoke to many friends, a couple of friends from McKinsey the had also left and joined Amazon and they were like, you know what Amazon, jitna traffic to their website, does Like, there is no way. So, I said, the product is the same, the customer is the same, the customer wants to buy on Amazon, you are taking three days to deliver, I'll deliver it in the same day. Why are you being stubborn? Why are you being stubborn? I said, no, on Amazon, they will not get the same experience. What experience? Amazon, What what experience do you want on Amazon? Product listing? Brand store? I said, yeah, brand store. Two so, brands. So, for a brand like us, which is so small, they gave us a brand store, which at that time was not something they would do for a lot of brands. Then we went on Amazon and we suddenly saw scale happening. I was like, wow, that's an interesting thing. So a lot of, like a lot of, like this entrepreneurship journey has been very humbling that way. That's a lot of things that you think, you know, your, your ego gets broken a lot. Uh, through the process, but uh, I think we learned over a period of time two, three things, Which is one, be where the customer is, right? Second is make products the customer wants. Third is be at a price point that is genuinely competitive. Just because you feel your brand is premium doesn't mean the customer feels that your brand is premium, right? So if you, if you are making a sharing cream for 190 rupees and the average sharing cream in the market is for 50 rupees, then 145 rupees ka premium you have to justify to the customer fairly well. You can't just say because my packaging is got, uh, you know, uh, matte finish, you will pay. No, customer won't pay for that. Customer will pay 250 rupees for a shaving cream in body shop because the store in body shop and the fragrance and everything is so amazing, right? But still fewer people will buy. We have to really realize that we, one, we have to be where the customer so it would be everywhere, it every be offline. Second is our category is lesser engaging. right? So, we are in a low engagement category. So we have to accept it. And which means that in a high engagement category, like mobile phones or cars or whatever, customer will do the resource and make the choice. If you're genuinely a better product, you will get bought. But in our case, even if you're a better product, because customer will decide in like two seconds, you have to be there and you, your brand has to be a consideration brand. So invest in brand and be in every shelf. If so customer have a big bazaar, go there. Customer big basket to customer more to customer Amazon, hai, you have to be there. You have to be everywhere and you have to sell yourself everywhere. Uh so there's multiple things that we have learned along the way.
1: So uh, like from that 17 lakhs a month, uh, when did you cross one CR a month? We crossed a
2: crore. uh 17 lakhs was only 2017 uh twenty seventeen yeah, 2017 June when we raised our first round of financing. Uh, from fireside. I think we crossed a crore the year next year, like a year later.
1: Okay. And oh, what, what, uh, led to the crore? Like what was the contributor? You went offline. You went to Amazon. What all was it? Uh,
2: so we went to, no, we didn't go offline then. We went to Amazon. Uh, uh at the time, Nika was also building out pretty well. Number one. Number two is we launched. A, a range of products in the beard category. The so beard was taking off at that time because we were in facial hair management. You know, shaving beard. We kind of had a complementary equity to launch there. Um, uh, and because I think we, we raised some money, so we were able to invest in the brand.
1: Did you also like change your product pricing? Yeah. So the good part,
2: Akshay uh, was that our initial products, no, other than the razor, the is like at 1,800 bucks, our other products were. Yeah, premium but not so premium. Our beer drink is fairly fairly competitive. It was fairly competitive. And after that, no, we have been very very particular that our price point has to be affordable and attractive to the customer. We are not cheap, but we are very competitive. Like for example, a shaving foam or Mumbai shaving company, you will get for two twenty rupees. Gillette will get for ninety rupees. So we are we and you know equally
1: good and so on. Hmm. Okay. 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 So, you know, like, how did the Fireside deal happen? Like, uh, you know, what did they like in you? Like,
2: So, I, I, I Kaval was the, was the, uh, was the GP there. He was the founder of Fireside. We met at a mall and I took, I took our initial product. Oh, he loved the initial product. He was sitting at a barista in Vasan Square mall in Vasan Kunj. He opened the product and, you know, I, so there are a lot of things we did right in that, right? The, we used to fold the towel up in a particular way and spray fragrance on it. So when the box opened, the fragrance would fit and the customer would get a good glimpse, right? We opened the product, he passed the razor. He's like, Shantanu, this is really cool stuff, man. This is really cool stuff and so on. And he said, we would like, we would like to invest in your company. Like, it was, if you basically, saw, yeah, I, I I mean, they were amazing, They were amazing, um, investors to have on one high support, uh, very, very, like, very, very uh, uh, emotionally attached to the brands. So, you genuinely, like, Kaval, uh, Karnan, uh, uh, I all these guys, they buy your products as consumers, they'll give you feedback, they'll use it, and they have their, now, investment in 50 companies. So, four guys <laughs> keep using their brand, brand the product and give feedback, but that they're you know, very good. So, that, that was helpful.
1: Okay, and uh, like when did you start going offline then? So like 17, you were at like one CR a month.
2: FireSide so invested in 2017, when we were at 17. 2018, August is when Colgate invested. When Colgate invested, we were at 75-80 lakhs a month. I think, I think we hit a CR in Valentine's Day 2019. Okay. February 2019, is when we hit a crore a month for the first time. Mm-hmm.
1: And how did the Colgate investment come through? Like, was that through Fireside? Uh, like they enabled it? Or-
2: no, no, no. Fireside was, uh, in fact, Colgate had reached out to us while the Fireside deal was going on, uh, their head of Strategy Global, uh, who was the India CEO in the late 90s, Jay. So Jay reached out, but, you know, with last strategic investors, how it is. So we said, look, we have a term sheet and we're going to go ahead to Fireside. But let's keep, let's keep talking. And uh, we kept talking, we started gro- started growing and we, you know, Jax came back to India, we met a few times and um, they loved our D2C capabilities. They loved how we thought about D2C, how we built websites, how we built uh marketing stacks, uh, etc. And um, uh, they felt that it will be tremendous value to learn for their teams globally also on oral care and uh, plus, uh, they really liked our uh, men's grooming business from olive energy standpoint also. So, they said, look, we will put in a little money, you know, it's not an acquisitive deal, your two guys are too small, uh, but we want to learn. We, they were already invested in Dollar Shape Club, which was, you know, something that had kind of done well uh, for them. Uh, so, this is we want to learn. So, 2018, um, they invested in us, and kind of this, again, just a, uh, you know, brilliant uh, set of people. Uh, Investment was actually, it was a global decision to invest from, from from New York. It's not the India company that invested, it's the New York company uh, via the Hong Kong uh, business. And um, at the time, Vinod Nambiar, who today is the CEO of More Retail in India, uh, that time he was CEO of Colgate Asia. He became a very close friend. Uh, Mukul, who today is Asia CEO and was earlier the Chief Marketing Officer of Colgate Global, he's a close mentor to the company. These are guys who just, you know, they, the money for them is very small. They're like a hundred billion dollar market business, market cap business, right? But for a small company like us doing, course, you know, 50 lakhs a month, 60 lakhs a month, they were spending time teaching us, you know, these are guys who also understand brand management so well. even have been running like a 220-year-old brand, right? So, it's they understand product. Like in India, they sell 3 billion toothpastes and toothbrushes every year. They understand supply chain, they understand procurement. So we have a, we, we have a lot to learn. That's how we, like, we, I was excited. They were excited about us for, for their own reasons. I was excited about them for my own reasons, and it was a hatch uh, which was, was very well made. Hmm.
1: Okay. So when did you go offline? Like after the Colgate uh, investment? Like, I, I guess Colgate must have helped?
2: You know, in the India head of Colgate sales, the guy called MC. So I would probably. The most knowledgeable guy in offline sales I have professionally interacted with. Um, he, during the, you know, even during the courtship period, I had met him much, a couple of times and he shaped the way we thought. Uh, we, you know, one of our core, one of our very high performing guys, Shanky, we made him head of offline sales. We were at that time 10, 12 people. So he went to Bombay and he started, did a recce for like a month. And then we started slowly, we started cracking a few deals. We started shaping up our products to look good on ourselves. Uh, and Bombay was our first city, so we slowly went to like, you know, 50,000 a month, 80,000 a month, uh, then uh, one lakh a month. Modern trade, we tracked LaMarche in Delhi. So it was very, very slow and steady approach to building out our offline sales business. Uh, 2007, Colgate coming in really helped us. And then head of Colgate offline sales for Delhi, uh, and North was a guy called Deepak Gupta. We had a personal situation at home which, because of which he couldn't start up, but wanted to go to a startup. So had left Colgate, wanted to go to a startup. And you know, the Colgate deal had just happened. So I ended up meeting him and I loved him. And he joined us to head our offline sales business. And um, today he's the CEO of the company, CEO. Uh, but he played a fundamental part in helping Shanky kind of take the game to the next level. Today, we do upwards of 2, 2.2 crores a month only offline sales. We the for a, for a young brand to do that scale of business offline. And like we've grown five times from last March to now. In like one, five quarters. So it's a very fast growing business.
1: And that too at a time when offline sales got hit due to the COVID thing.
2: Yeah. Good part is like personal care did not get affected that much because people continue to shave and wash their face and so on, right? So it was not, and plus, you know, uh, at a business level, uh, people, you know, continue to look online for stuff where we compete well. So overall, it was good for us, but yeah, offline did very, very well.
1: So what is your mix now, like offline marketplaces and D2C?
2: Offline plus B2B, right? So which is our uh, gifting and corporate gifting and all that. All that put together is roughly, roughly 35% of our business, uh, D2C is roughly 15, and 50% is
1: marketplaces. Oh, okay, 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 okay. And uh, how did the uh, Racket investment uh, happen? <laughs> Again, so Racket,
2: uh, I got introduced to Racket because the global CEO of Racket, who joined them in 2019, was the person who inducted me into McKinsey as a senior partner in 2011. So he was at PepsiCo, and you know, I, I met him in New York, and we were very close. He was very like he was very senior to me, but he was a mentor and. Uh, a mentor to a lot of people from the McKinsey India office. He's a very magnanimous personality, Lakshman. So, Lakshman said, hey, you know, I'm driving a and I'm going to be the global CEO. Why don't you talk to a few guys about, you know, your business and how we can work together? So he kind of made an introduction email and kind of forgot about it. But the people I got introduced to were their global head of e-commerce and, uh, ERB and a couple of their senior folks. And we just hit it off. Yeah. So they were in India the 20, this is 2019, huh? Uh, we, we, we did a lot of brainstorming on, on categories. They came to our office, they saw our D2C capabilities and they said, Hey, your D2C is brilliant. Uh, we, we feel that we can learn a lot and not only learn a lot, like Colgate has a more, uh, you know, soft approach where it's more, you know, you guys learn, share and so on. Forget all that. You guys run our D2C, D2C business. You run durex.com, you run npha.com. Two of our brands, if you do well, they'll give you more brands. And then I said, okay, I said, look, we're not a service agency, right? This is what you give an agency. We're not an agency. We're a brand business. You know. I understand, right? But if you run our business, your your company will also benefit. You will, you know, you'll make some money. Your your team will get inter- like learnings. You will, you know, you can so much benefit comes from running a big brand. I, I agree with that, right? So I said, sure, okay, cool. Why don't we do it, but if you want us to do this, you have to invest equity in the company. So, that was, they were like, okay, hmm, should we invest equity? But do you already have Colgate. And I was look, all does it matter? Colgate, Colgate are also strategically important for us. You guys are strategically important for us. You guys, Colgate and Recon don't compete. You guys are a hygiene health business. Colgate is an oral care, personal care, beauty business. So, uh, what's the issue? So, okay. So, then it took a long time for them to agree to it. But uh, uh, once 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 the ball gets rolling, until I think it, it stops only after it stops. Right? So uh, <laughs> uh, we kind of got a shareholder agreement together. We introduced the Colgate guys, the record guys. They got along well. And today we are a small business with two globally large companies as strategic investors sitting on the cap table with all these other McKinsey and other angels. So it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting cap table.
1: So which brands are you running for record?
2: Durex and Enfa. Uh,
1: what is Enfa? Uh,
2: it's a milk substitute for young kids. So.
1: Okay. Like Pediasure. or.
2: Yeah. Nanpro, Pro, cetera, right? So they have a brand called Enfamil. They have Bro. They have. It's, it, it was owned by this company called Meat Johnson. Um, and it's one of, it's one of, if not the world's largest brand. I think it's a three and a half, four billion dollar brand globally. But in India, they have, uh, they have, Entered later, so they they're picking up now in India, and I think my personal belief is D2C is a fantastic place because high AOV, high repeat, subscribable business. If, if the child likes the taste, that the parents are not going to go to any other brand. They'll just say, "Oh, fine, my makeup is based on right? And the other one, is Durex, which is like the sexiest category possible. Uh, so those to are two brands we're going to run. We are in the process of handing over the websites to us. In
1: so, uh, uh, how, how much money will you make in this? Like, is it a percentage of sales arrangement with you or what is it like? It's a, it's a percentage of sale arrangement.
2: It's a percentage of sale arrangement and, and, uh, and a percentage and a, a, a bonus kicker for achieving the right
1: targets. Okay. 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 But how much do you think it will contribute to your uh, revenue? Like,
2: not a lot. Yeah. I- initially single digit, but uh, I think, I think for, for us, it's not, we're not in this for the revenues. We're in it for, uh, for the learnings and I think, I think it, it helps us flex our muscles a lot. Just running BombayShavingCompany.com will help you get to a certain level. But if you suddenly start doing three, four different things, three, four different target pools of audiences, three, four different kinds of, uh, media which you're buying, uh, you know, just, you, you your team becomes much sharper if they, they, they do three, four different things. So, uh, I think that's, that's, that's what is more exciting for me.
1: So you've told me a couple of times in our conversation that a lot of investors were impressed with your D2C stack. Uh, tell me about that. Like, what what all does it include and how did you build that up?
2: I, mean, I, I, so I always feel that D2C is something which, like, people use this term a lot, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's now becoming like people, it's like becoming this, like, what do you call it uh, uh, this cultist thing that D2C, D2C, like people who don't do D2C feel like, oh, we need to, like, everyone feels we need to do D2C, et cetera. I think the idea was simple. I, I, I think it is about doing a lot of simple things really well rather than doing like three, four big silver bullet kind of things, right? Building a really conversion friendly website, for example. Right? It's super critical making sure that loading times and convert customer journeys are as clean as possible. Making sure payments are to zero on failure. Like everyone knows this. I'm not saying something which people don't know. Uh, then, uh, bringing people, bringing the right people to the website very economically, right? Um, being on top of media buying. So Facebook, Instagram, Google are the most important media, you know, media spend you'll make, but, The sophistication of data that you get as a marketer is amazing, right? You will know exactly what kind of audience interacts with what kind of ad set for what kind of product and how it converts or how kind of click rates you get, right? We would be run experiments through the roof, right? Every ad set is like a experiment for us. So you keep learning, you keep becoming better. So you keep doing small, 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 small things and an increment, like it's a goal by a thousand passes approach. Good D2C in my view is a goal by a thousand passes. You see, the final goal it's a tap in. It doesn't look sexy, and it it definitely doesn't you know feel like you've achieved a lot. But the process is one where the team continuously gets better and better and better. So continuous review and doing the small things, thousand small things really well, I think is what makes D2C work for us.
1: So you in your initial hiring did not have a guy to build a D2C stack? Nah, like
2: We had a product design guy, a procurement guy and a, a marketing guy. So me and the marketing guy built it out initially. Uh, we we uh, like McKinsey has taught us that if you're a generalist, that you, you should be able to solve any problem. So for the first two, three years, it was me only doing everything. Then we got someone senior to look at D2C. We got a few, you know, uh, we started learning this from uh, junior folks who had done this for uh, branded at scale, like Mintra, for example. We got a lot of experts to come and teach us through workshops how to do B2C. Um, a close friend of mine was someone senior at Facebook, so we asked him to set up something for Facebook advertising. So, we, we, I mean, we were very curious and we were very eager to learn.
1: And because you were hands-on, so I guess that's like a very strong part of the company DNA, since you personally like built it up.
2: Correct, absolutely. For the first, for the first three, four, three years, three, three and a half years, I was every like three times a day reviews, problem solving sessions, whiteboard sessions, all the time. So that's that's when you build the foundational muscle. And then after that, I've gotten lesser and lesser involved as 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 and how people far smarter than me joined the team. My requirements was kind of made irrelevant. So which uh, is great for me, it allows me to focus on things that I like doing.
1: What is it that you like then? What are you focusing on?
2: So I I'm, I, i am have realized as a CEO, I'm not as good an operator as I am a strategy guy. So I'm able to see patterns much better than I'm able to execute a particular, let's say, piece of work. Uh, um, uh, my job, I, I think the CEO's job is three, four things, right? Number one is setting a very clear mandate for the next three, six, and 12 months. Continuously.
1: Okay. Okay? Okay. For the organization and, and the team. For the organization, for the leadership team, and for each
2: team, individual teams in the company. So, mandate building happens at multiple levels. Uh. Then, second is defining what the vision of the business is for the long term and over communicating it. Like, I, I think I sound like a broken record nowadays, but this is what we're doing with every all hands, every interaction. Just reminding people of what the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is, really. Third thing is to keep the company financially stable and to be financially compliant, right? Have a very clear understanding of your financials, how much money you need, how, what kind of margin structure you have today, what are the decisions you need to make to make the margin structure better, etc. Those are the That's third job. And fourth job, I think, is for a culture of performance and emotional health of the business, right? So, which is 120 people have to work in a particular way, have to interact with each other in a particular way, CEO and founder holds that close a lot, but on execution, operation, like day-to-day decisions, week-on-week decisions, uh, even, even target achievements, I have uh, my, my you know, my CEO and my leadership team look at it far better than I do. And it's not even a skill of mine, to be honest. I don't do that well. Mm -hmm.
1: So, uh, uh, teach me how to do mandate setting. Like, you know, do you uh, put it on paper with numbers, or is it like a more uh, aspirational kind of a mandate you set? Or, you know, like, how do you do that?
2: So, I think mandate is at the end of the day, hey, this is what the business expects you to achieve. But there has to be a very strong reason to believe. That, okay, for example, we are, we, are, we are doing very well in women's hair removal today. For example, it's now 20% of our business. Okay. We started as a men's business. We're now reinventing into a men and women's business. Now, we are, we are in the process of setting the mandate for our women's, women's hair removal business. So what, how do you, how do you do that? Right? What do you to I want to build a 100 crore women's hair removal brand in India. Okay. That's the mandate. Why it makes sense for me. Okay. Number one. India is there, a 20,000 crore women hair removal market of which 95% is vaccine services. Okay, But 5% and growing is products, which is razors and uh, hair removal and so on. Women, younger women especially, want a razor in the purse. Okay, NICA has told us that that's what they want. They're going to listen to them and initial feelers are that it's going to work. Um, vaccine is inconvenient and painful. Women don't have time. If they want to go for a party tonight or they want to go for a date tonight, they want to wear something, a skirt, they will shave their legs. So you have to be the razor there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, there's the competitive landscape, unlike men, there's Marxi and Susan are such good products in women's hair removal. Our product is far better, far better than, than any other offering. So we believe that this is that the reason to believe is high. Right. Hence, is the
1: mandate now? And how did the hundred crore number come? And is that a number you tell your team that you need to hit hundred crore turnover in the next 12 months? Like, is that how you set the mandate? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And and how did that number come?
2: It's basically it's basically I, I I want to get to five crore per month by the end of the year, and 10 crore per month by the end of next year, by by June of next year. Pretty much it. Pretty much as simple as that. It's a run rate thing. And uh, for that, you need to sell these many units. This is the average price. Here is how the channel structure or channel mix is going to be. And here is what the large market is. Here is the budget for marketing. Now figure it out.
1: And this is where the intuition also comes in. Like you said, that consultants don't have that intuition, but this would be a gut driven number. Like, like. It,
2: it's, it is triangulated, right? So I know, for example, how big Venus is. I know how big Beat is. I know how big Kai and Tinkle are. I know. Number of searches for women's hair removal products across Google and Amazon. I know the size of the category offline. I know what is the size of the category in stores that my men's products sell. So I'm able to triangulate a lot of these things to say, okay, fine. Today I'm at, today I'm at 1.3 crores. What's the journey from 1.3 crores a month to, uh, 6 crores a month? Like what, how does that waterfall build up in my mind? Like, and how, how much do I have to invest in that? And then I give the mandate to the team saying, this is my belief. I, mandates are always presentations. They're never asks. So mandate setting is a five to seven page slide deck that I make and present and say, you either disagree with me and tell me, I would be delighted if you can be more ambitious than me. I cannot accept it if you're less ambitious than I am. Unless I have gotten some assumptions wrong." So you tell me no no Chantami, you you're overestimating the market size or you're underestimating the competitive uh difficulties. So let's have a discussion. Then we have a discussion on it. And many times my team convinces me that I'm you know either being over ambitious or under ambitious or whatever. But once we align, then I let them go and i then they hire on their own, they figure
1: it out on their own, and I just review every month and on. Hmm. Amazing. So so in a way you sell a vision using a deck uh, on why that vision can be achieved and in what timeline absolutely then i have then sometimes i have to hire the right person for that
2: mandate if the person does not exist if i feel that this mandate needs to be run by an independent indiv- individual and people in my team don't have the bandwidth or the capability or i think i need someone else then, then i also go and hire, uh, hire. So that, that that's also becomes my job which is you know Senior team setting opportunity. Hmm.
1: hmm. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And so, what is your uh, product range now? Like you said, you've gone into women's hair removal. So what else is there now?
2: So we have obviously we have men's shaving, which is you know razors, trimmers, after shaves, shaving cream, shaving foams, or uh, shaving balms, etc. The whole shaving range. We have a lot of facial hair management solutions, right? Our beard range, our charcoal face washes, uh, etc. We have hair hair oils um we have uh, for and you know uh, charcoal face pack uh, and stuff like that for men right uh, for women we have three four different kind of razors we have a post shave balm lavender soothing balm and we have a uh, pre shave foam for women uh, and of course you know eyebrow razor face razor bikini razor foldable razor we have a body razor etc.
1: Okay. So, where do you, uh, stand in the pecking order? Like, you know, like there is Manco and there's Beardo. So, you know, uh, in, uh, like between your peers, like are you, like, you know, where do you stand? Like, are you bigger than the others or are there other peers who are bigger or?
2: So it depends on the category. So, for example, uh, in shaving, we are bigger than all of these guys other than, we are, we are smaller than Gillette, Nivea, and possibly Wee on, but we are bigger than the others. Okay. In Beard, they're much bigger than us, right? Beardo is much bigger than us, Beardo, Ustra, Man Company are bigger than us in the beard category. Uh, from an overall business in women's hair removal, uh, Venus and Wheat are bigger than us, but we are, we are climbing very quickly and competing very hard. Right, um, uh, from an overall standpoint, I think Beardo and Man Company are probably 20, 25% bigger than we are. Uh, and Ustra is probably the same size as we are. Uh, I'm not sure last three, four months how COVID has been for them. Uh, but I really respect these guys, uh, by the way. Like, I think what Beard, Beard Man Company in Ustra have all built outstanding brands in new categories which is not easy to do. So we took on Sharing, which is an established category. So it's much easier to build a proposition there. But building a new category like Beard was just insanely difficult and they did a fantastic job of it. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So how has COVID been for you? Like very good for us. Like wow,
2: I know the country went through like like un un unbelievably tragic, um you know experiences. Three three of our um, colleagues have lost a parent, right? Um, from a business standpoint, two things happened, right? One is personal care uh, products went up from a category standpoint. People bought more of it, right?
1: Why, why is that? Like why did that happen? they're not spending on going out, so they spend on pampering.
2: Yeah, you, and you have to show your face no, on Zoom calls, in an office and office. Not like, you have to wash your face, you have to shave, shave, you have to clean your beard, you have like all the usage continues. In fact, you're at home all the time, so you won't even use the bad stuff that you get in hotels and, you know, all of that stuff. you continuously buying stuff. Second thing is, people are buying online. So, uh, when people move from offline to online, it's much easier for us, like, gelated in 2 million to in India. We are in fifty thousand stores. So offline, we we can't compete as as well yet. But you put all of us in uh, in an online store, then our ability to compete is the market. So when when traffic online goes up, we, we take a significant chunk of that uh, traffic for our uh, for our products.
1: So what is your current monthly rate? Are you at Liberty to
2: Yeah, we we do we we, we do eight eight eight
1: and a half crores a month now.
2: So we are looking to. I like we are a solid hundred crore brand now. So. We are hoping to hoping to increase by 50% this year.
1: Okay. So, so what's like a five-year vision for Bombay Shaving Club? What all categories do you see yourself in?
2: I think men's shaving, uh, we want to be uh, bigger than Gillette in the consumables business. Right? We want to be bigger than Nivea in the consumables So I think...
1: So what do you mean by consumables? Like the, the razor? The non-razor blade
2: business. Like shaving cream, shaving foam aftershave, um, that stuff, right? Like, we want to own that, right? Through so our super food proposition, through our amazing packaging, really sensorial product experiences, we want to own that. So, uh, I think uh, 500 crore business there, and we want to own uh, women's hair removal uh, from a product experience standpoint also. That's another 500 crore business. So, we want to be a 1,000 crore business uh, which owns hair removal for men and women in the next five years?
1: Okay. Do you see yourself getting acquired? Like, you know, say, like if uh, RB like is really impressed with how you're handling the D2C, they might just decide to bring you in.
2: Yeah. So we, I mean, always, always. See, I, I think acquisition is should be should be a more practical decision than an emotional one. Um. So if the value is right, the time is right. Look. I always feel that uh, self-grown brands sometimes need a home to achieve their next um, realm of growth, right? Um,
0: even
2: let's say we can go to 200 crores, but if RB or Colgate buys us and they can take us to every store and every salesperson of Colgate or RB has Bombay shaving company as a separate line item in their targets, they can do in one year what we will take five years to do. So, it, isn't, isn't that better for the company? Yes. Yeah. If, if the acquirers at a good, at, at a fair value, is that good return to, uh, on investment to all the people who have put in the money over many years? Yes. Do employees feel that, you know, they do they make money? Yes. Do they get more professional opportunities as a part of a huge company like Colgate or Racket, working in many geographies, working in many countries, uh, working in multiple functions, learning and becoming more seasoned, ex- absolutely. At the right value, right future intent. Every company needs to think hard, rather than taking what I feel is a very myopic view of saying, oh, I don't want to lose my, uh, you know, freedom, and this. that's all. I think uh, Indian promoters associate like the reason why Indian promoters don't sell is that their identity is their company. And then they end up kind of refusing really what I feel are lucrative and better things for the company. But for us, I, I, when the time is right, if the offer comes, uh, if it works for our investors, if it works for our employees, if it's good for the brand, we'll do it.
1: And what is it that you are personally passionate about? You know, like, so one is, of course, building Bombay Saving Club. Uh, but besides that, like, you know, Santanu as a person. What is it that you seek to learn or how do you seek to spend your time when you're not building Bombay Saving Club? Uh,
2: Canada.
1: Or it's like 24-7 Bombay Saving no, Club. No,
2: no, 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 I'm a very regular guy. And I, I have, I, I love watching sports. I, I am, I, I am on online. I devour content online. Like I'm on Twitter and I, I have so many various interests. Um, uh, I love music. Um, I play the tabla uh, I love hanging out with my friends so for me like if you remove Bombay sharing Company for my life I will be very happy to spend time I'm a very social guy I make friends easily um, and you know I want to, I also want to start I want to get into teaching now so I started getting interested a lot in like primary and middle school mathematics I feel that if, if, if 8 to 14 year olds in India are taught mathematics the right way uh, we will have a very different kind of workforce that comes out uh, in the future. So I'm thinking how how I can do that because I have a passion for teaching mathematics to school. My uh, friends' kids, for example, uh, I'm very like I'm curious to see how I can teach many of them uh, math. But, but I have a lot, of, lot, a of, lot of passion.
0: If you like this story, then do check out the amazing range of products that Shantanu is offering at BombayShavingCompany.com. If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books, and drama. Visit thepodium.in that is T-H-E-P-O-D-I-U-N dot I-N for a complete list of all our shows. This episode of Founder Thesis Podcast is brought to you by Long Haul Ventures. LongHaul Ventures is the long haul partner for founders and startups that are building for the long haul. More about them is at www.longhaulventures.com.